0: All right, here we are, another episode of Behind the Human. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it is my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. We are approaching the end of another year, a year I'm sure that was mixed with ups and downs, but here we are in this present moment, together taking time to fuel and train our minds. This I'm incredibly grateful for. It's also a time of year where we naturally slow down and have more space to reflect and I wanted to reshare this episode which is one of the most popular episodes actually it's the most popular episode since starting the show um, with Jake Knapp taking control of your day. It's fitting for this time of year as Jake leaves many great insights and practices that can help as you go through your reflection. A little bit about Jake he is the author of Make Time and the New York Times bestseller Sprint Jake spent 10 years at Google and Google Ventures where he created the Design Sprint. He has also since coached teams like Slack, Uber, 23andMe, Lego, and the New York Times on this method. He's also working on the highlight course which is coming out in January of 2020 to help people make time for what matters every day. Enjoy this chat and wishing you the very best in your reflection. All right, Jake, who are you?
1: Ah, who am I? <laughs> what a good question. <laughs> Let's get real deep. I think, you know, I, I kind of am starting to think more and more that maybe the defining feature of who I am is a dad. I think that might be the thing that has the most influence over the decisions that I make these days, the way I spend my time. It is the 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 tiebreaker that changes everything else. All my plans can can change and pivot in an instant based on um, on being a dad. So that's yeah,
0: probably sure. a dad first and foremost. I love it. And what um how do you have do you have one or two kids? Two kids. Two. Yeah two two
1: boys. Um the oldest is fifteen years old. He's just starting high school. Okay. And the the younger son is seven years old and he's in first grade. Oh wow.
0: Okay. So it's a busy household.
1: It is. Yeah. Yeah, Lots, lots going on.
0: (laughs) So let's back up then a little bit. Let's chat a little bit about your path and, and, you know, the Coles notes version though, of, of how, how you've gotten to where you are right now. So you've had a, you know, pretty, pretty awesome journey from what I can see. And and a lot of people would probably um, be quite excited of the, the various jobs and, you know, where you've landed now and that whole evolution. So just why don't we provide a little bit of context and then we can, jump into uh, some of the themes I've noticed just following your work for the last few years. Sure. Yeah. And I'll, I'll focus more on the, the jobs
1: stuff and less on the dad history because yeah. <laughs> you can kind of, you know, like they're 15 and seven, you know, that uh, we, there's lots of stories about them, sure. uh, but, but I'll focus on the the job stuff. I'm a uh, I'm a designer and a writer. I guess that's kind of, I kind of am a little unclear about how to describe myself, whether I'm first and foremost a designer, because that's where a lot of my job experience is being a, a designer or first and foremost a writer, because that's most of what I do now. and not, I'm not doing like a lot of design work. In fact, I rarely do actual design work, um, these days, okay. but, but yeah, my career it was, I mean, I, I started making like games on the computer when I was in middle school and high school. So I've been doing that for a really long time. That's a really long time ago. My first professional job doing design was, um, about 20 years ago, building, working on the, um, the web design team at Oakley, the sunglasses company. And I did that while I was in college. And, um, and then towards the end of college, I got a job working at Microsoft on the Encarta encyclopedia. Oh, wow. We're going way back. Love it. Way back, yeah, CD-ROMs. Carter, like, yeah, but like a lot of you know, listeners might not even know. No, we're dating that, ourselves that for sure. Heard <laughs> of the Encarta Encyclopedia? But actually, a really great product um, that I that I miss as a dad because my kids yeah. have to, you know, they want to learn about stuff, and it's oh man, it was it was really high quality stuff. The articles were were There were, there were not as many articles as there are in Wikipedia now. They were not as up to date, but they were really high quality and a and, uh, bit, bit more trustworthy, I think, um, yeah. in general. But anyway, um, I worked there for quite a few years actually building products. So I, I, um, I, was, I was there, I, I, uh, I went back to to college and finished up my degree. And then I went back to Microsoft and worked for quite a few years on Encarta and then on another project that that sort of died, and then I I left Microsoft and I went to go work at Google, and so I was at Google for about five years. Um, from this is like 2007, like uh, started at the beginning of 2007, and I was at Google till 2012. So working on Gmail, and and I started um, this project with some some colleagues that became what's now Google Meet or Google Hangouts, like the video mm-hmm. conferencing software. And then I also started this. Project that became the you know the design sprint. So I created the design sprint process, which is a, a way for teams to work together solving a problem. And it's a very structured process and kind of a checklist for for a, a week long um, collaborative work that a team will do to to start off and just kind of define the problem, detail it out, come up with solutions. Uh, by Wednesday you've you've got a bunch of sketches each person has come up with their own solution and you're deciding which ones to to test on Thursday you build a prototype and then on Friday you test it one on one with your customers and I did that a bunch at Google to try to kind of figure out what the formula should be for, for that process. And then I went to work at Google Ventures. So from 2012 to 2017, I was working at Google Ventures, working with startups, running design sprints, and together with my colleagues, there, just really refining and improving that process. And and we did over, God, over 150 design sprints. So all kinds of different, you know, startups in all kinds of different um, uh, areas. So
0: it's going, it's still going know. strong too, right? The, the sprint process is, yeah. is still alive. <laughs> yeah. So the
1: design sprint stuff has really taken off. And, uh, so we wrote a book about it called sprints and that book came out in 2016. And really since then it has, it has spread. It's all over the place. Uh, yeah. There's teams, not just in tech. I mean, a lot of tech teams. So like, um, including even like, you know, competitors of Google who maybe otherwise, uh, you know, don't, don't like Google so much, but a lot of teams picked up the the process, even at places like, um, like Facebook and, yeah. and, and and it also spread outside of that. So, um, Lego is using design sprints now and, um, a lot yeah, a lot of, a lot of companies, um, just recently working with the New York times, helping them do design sprints. So, oh, cool. so yeah, so my job nowadays is, um, as I said, I'm, mostly a writer now and I have a new book that's about to come out and that's you know, part of the reason that we're talking yeah. is to, to kind of promote the new book um, but um, but it's not it's a little bit about design but not so much about design and um, and then I'm also writing fiction so I have like a science fiction book that I'm that I've started and I'm working on and um, and then I'm teaching the design sprint process teaching workshops and
0: and that's yeah that brings us up to date Amazing. Well, well, thank you. And that's a perfect, uh, perfect summary. Um, one of the themes and, and and you'll see it relates back to, you know, the current book and, and really, I think a lot of the projects you've been on, but I, I just get this feeling. You seem to be a type of person that just really takes the time to step back and look like I know you just you just describe yourself as a designer, but you're to me, you're almost a process expert, <laughs> Or, you know, in operations, like how can I make this better? Like there's clearly there's a there's a pain point in X and how can we make this better? Have you always been like that? Or first of all, do you do you see that in yourself? And and have you always been like that?
1: Yeah, no, I think I think that's accurate. I think that I'm um I think that I'm interested in things that just would drive some people crazy like a kind of you know kind of like a yeah. um the there's some details of of things that that really interest me and have have all like maybe not always always but but for a long time in in my professional career things about the way people work together got fascinated me and drove me crazy like a lot of stuff drive, that i think drives some of the stuff drives everybody crazy, like meetings. Like I just think meetings drive like people crazy yeah, and, sure. and politics inside companies drives people crazy and, and seeing s- things that are good ideas, like not get acted on or, or get acted on too slowly or, um, or, you know, just feeling like you can't express your perspective or things like that. Um, I think those are things actually that like a lot of people see and it drives them crazy, but I started to just really like, like think. Um, wait a second. Like what, why are we doing this? Why are we acting this way? This doesn't make sense. And we could, we could do something different. We could change it. We could like actually sort of intentionally design it. Like here we are in these, you know, at Microsoft or at Google, here we are like intentionally designing these products that we're building. And, and then that, if you're a designer, you're always thinking about how does this, you know, how's the person who uses this going to interact with it? What's going to happen? How, what's going to happen with their, with the two things sort of collide and, and, you know, start to think like the way we work is also a thing that we can design. And, um, and the theme with the new book is kind of like the way you spend your day, the way you kind of focus your attention in a day as an individual, that's a thing that you can design. You don't have to just sort of take the, the way things are for granted. You could actually sort of redesign it. And I guess that maybe this comes from I didn't study uh, design. I didn't study computer science. Like I said, I was always like into that stuff. Just like, yeah. you know, tinkering around and having fun with it, but I never felt like I really knew what I was doing. And so when I came to, you know, when I was my first job at Oakley, I like really didn't know what I was doing. I was just trying to like learn from the people around me. And I felt I felt sort of behind and like an outsider and the same thing when I went to Microsoft. And then when I finally maybe got a little comfortable at Microsoft, I left, went to Google. It was a totally different environment. And, hmm. um, and then again, leaving Google and then going to work with startups was again, also like very, at each point I felt like a bit of a deficit. Like I don't really know what's going on and I don't have the proper background for this. I'm just going to have yeah. to figure it out. And I think that that, that perspective of being an outsider can be, very beneficial for, for me. It, it ended up becoming a strength because I, I think I could, I could see what didn't make sense and what was kind of crazy, mm-hmm. and then um, eventually have the confidence to say, "Okay, well, let's let's tr- maybe there's a better way. Let's see if we can we can change it." Which is kind of an arrogant thing to say, almost like I think you know, like as if I know best. But um, but it's worth a try.
0: Yeah. But I think it kind of, and thanks for sharing that. I can totally relate even with our journey with Keo. It's like, we were not developers. We had zero experience in this market, however you want to define it. And I think there's like that certain level of being naive to that, to those things that are, you know, what really drive unique ideas. Right. And, and thinking, cause you don't know, you don't know what you're, what you're getting into, but you're questioning and um, you know, good things can come out of that. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's,
1: it's, I think that's the way things change and hopefully for the better is somebody comes in and says like, Hey, as an outsider, this is crazy. We can do better. Let's try yeah. to do better. And sometimes those things are wrong and sometimes they're right. And, you know, you, but if you, if you feel it and I, you know, it sounds like you feel it. I, I feel like you're, you're working on something. You see an opportunity, like you it's, it's, it's very satisfying to go after it and try to make something better. And yeah. So, um, so this process of of coming up with a design sprint or or coming up with with make time and trying to figure out how well how does it how does it work for you know for me and for me and John as we were my co author as we were working on it over the years and kind of thinking about these different tactics and then trying to figure out how to explain it to people it's very satisfying but you also know that just like a startup in the end like maybe it'll work for people or
0: maybe it won't like you just you just yeah. don't know you just have to do your best absolutely well let, let's talk a little bit of the book so. Uh, i've fortunately had a chance to read one of these uh advanced copies, which has been fun. I've always wanted one of the flimsy books from the publishers <laughs>
1: <laughs> i'm so glad I'm so glad that you know that that's the flimsy book because when it's really um it's it's really like a vulnerable feeling to give someone the to know that someone's going to see the advanced copy because if you're if you're listening to this and you've never seen an advanced copy of a book and I haven't seen a lot of them. And I was sort of surprised when I got the advanced copies of Sprint, even though like the editor like really warned me, like it's gonna, you know, it it's gonna look <laughs> bad, like because it doesn't look like a, like a real finished book. There's things that I don't even... I don't even know I'm, I'm picking up on, but when you pick up a book, it has like a certain texture on the, on the cover and it has a certain, you know, the pages have a certain texture and you know, right away when you pick up the advanced copy, it's low quality. Like it's, everything says like low quality about it. It's (laughs) like the, the sheen is not right on the cover, you know, and the paper's not right. And like, um, and then also when you're, when they print these, it's like the book isn't actually totally done. Like it's through maybe like one or two rounds of editing, but by the time they print it, you already know there's all this stuff that you've caught that's been fixed. that's not fixed. And you're just like, Oh God, like I don't want anybody to think this is the book. Um, so yeah, anyway, that's a long way of saying I'm glad. Thank you for acknowledging. That wasn't the real thing.
0: Yeah, no, I, Hey, I feel like I'm part of the process a little bit with this, you know, totally.
1: It's yeah. a prototype, right? I mean, it's like a, it's, it's, it's like the design thing. Like it's great to have
0: that. Yeah, absolutely.
1: It's funny. Cause they've had those in publishing for a long time. I, you know, this idea that like, we're going to go to all this, it is a lot of trouble and expense to print those up. Sure. And, uh, and it's, it's the same reason why we prototype when we're building any kind of product. It's, it's something different happens in your brain, even though all the things I said about it, like, you know, it's not, it's not real. You also, then your brain does start to think like it's real. It feels like a real book so much more than a stack yeah. of papers or that are loose, you know, or, um, or a PDF or like the word doc or whatever you've been looking at. Like, it's just, it's totally, it is, it is now suddenly very real and you react to it in a different way. You see stuff that you wouldn't see otherwise.
0: Yeah, I know. I can totally get that. Um, so all to say what will remain in this book is the the, the structure. And I do want to encourage people listening is I think the audience for for Keel Conversations will really resonate with this. Is everyone listening for the most part is, you know, really trying to step, step back, think a little bit, um, see where they can adjust in their life. and And I feel like this book really pulls you out of autopilot and allows you to a either read it cover to cover or just cherry pick in and jump into a certain topic, get what you need and come out and jump back in. Um, so, you know, congrats to you and John for that. Cause I, the words that come to mind for me, is just, it's a very digestible and easy, oh, easy good. read.
1: Good, yeah. good. <laughs> That's so good. That's really good to hear because, you know, I, I am a person who has read a lot of books in this genre, the genre of time management or self-help or you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it. I'm not exactly sure what to call it, but I think people know, people know what I'm, I'm saying probably um, yeah. books like, um, like getting things done and the happiness project. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of books like this that I've really liked. And, and a lot of them that I've read that I, you know, maybe I didn't get so much from, but I think with any book like this, what, what I always found, and I think this is true for most people, like it's, it's really great if you read a book like, uh, like this and you come away with one or two things that you hope you can actually do like something I can actually apply to my life, my day-to-day, whatever, and, and things will be better. And we set out in writing this book, you know, he'd written sprint and we tried to write sprint in a little bit of a different way where it has this sort of like recipe. And it was very, you know, here's how you do it, which had the danger of being, you know, boring, but we thought would would be helpful to people, we hoped. Yeah. And we thought, you know, let's try to do the same thing with Make Time, but it, you know, in a way that's appropriate to this different type of book. It's not a business book. It's a it's like a it's for people. It's for individuals. And and let's really try to go for not just one or two things that you take away from it, but like maybe people would take away, you know, like five or six things. But we still wanted to acknowledge people are probably not going to do every single thing in the book. Right. And they're and, yeah. and what we can best hope to do is like encourage skimming, make it easy to skim and hopefully find, you know, what you don't want is for people to skim and then just like skip out altogether. You want them to skim and then be able to, to have something that shows, Hey, this is for you. This is interesting for you. Yeah. And, um, and then to make it really visual so that hopefully for, um, for people who are more visual learners like me, it would also stick, you know, because a lot of times I think the visual stuff is really important for making things like stick and, uh, and getting some stories in there. So it's personal as well. And I don't know, I hope we'll, we'll see. It's a different kind of book. I don't, I haven't seen another book that's really formatted or structured in this same way. So I don't know if it'll work. Um, it's kind of exciting and scary to see what's going to happen when it gets out in the real world.
0: No, I can imagine it's, um, but as, as someone that reads a lot of books as well, I mean, what I really like, um, I do like, I do like the personal stories in here and I do like the fun, like it's a fun book, right? Like you're saying fun little illustrations and just makes it real. So, um, while well, well, you know, when this is published, uh, the book will be out It'll be out for, for a few days. So we'll link to everything in the show, show notes so people can take a look, but why don't we, why don't we dive in a little bit on the main, maybe just the main framework. And then I'm really interested, um, because we've gone through this personally, uh, to launch Keel, but, how has the actual concept of the book fis- allowed you to actually release the book or write the book in the first place?
1: Oh yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. So, well, yeah. So, let's let's give away the game here and talk about what Make Time is about. So, Make yeah. Time is a it's a book about how to focus on what matters every day. That's actually I mean, that's the subtitle of the book. It's Make Time: How to Focus on What Matters Every Day. But that I mean, that <laughs> is what it's all about. It, it's very challenging. It's been challenging for my whole life to focus on what matters every day. There there are always distractions, but the distractions that we have in the year, you know, 2018, 2019, they're so much more sophisticated than they've ever been. The distractions on our smartphones, the distractions in, uh, you know, on the internet. And also the, I think the culture of busyness has never been more intense. I think we've always had a culture of busy or for many, many years, uh, we've had a culture of that encourages busyness, that sort of people are looking out to see how busy other people are at the office. And when we talk to each other, we say, oh gosh, I'm really busy, you know, to kind of, yeah confirm that we're important or or just just because it's the only word we have to say things are going well and you know work is full but it's a it's a negative word and it's a negative feeling and i think a lot of us feel this kind of bombardment i certainly do of, of busyness and distraction so the idea with the book is like okay here's a way that that you we think you can take control of of what's going on one day at a time with just one sort of small focal point. So you don't have to change everything. We don't expect you to like erase all of your commitments. But just make some small changes that that start to put your own priorities first. And a lot of these insights come from running design sprints, from working with all these teams at Google, from working with all these startups. Um, you know, we were working with Slack and Uber and Nest and all these different, a lot of startups that no one's ever heard of. But seeing how all of these different teams worked together, and then how when we ran these sort of experiments in our design sprints, because we're we're not only experimenting with the products, but as we're going with the process, we're trying to tweak what the teams do and what people are doing during those days. And we found some themes that really had a powerful effect on what we could accomplish as, as an individual or as a team in a day. And so we, tr- we, John and I have been sort of applying those ideas ourselves to what we did as individuals and and make time is kind of the the summary of that, of those mm. findings. So the, the make time system is four parts. And the first part is that every day you, you set a highlight for your day. You choose one focal point, one thing that you're going to focus on.
0: And then the a second changer, part is, way. what's that? I said, that's been a game changer, by the way, for me. That personally.
1: one is huge. And I, God, you know, I wish I could say that I came up with that. John came up with that, that sort of. <laughs> fun.
0: right. and John <laughs> yeah
1: and he's you know it's and it's interesting because this idea of like a most important task has been around for a long time that's something people have been talking about for a long time but um but the shift that's really powerful in the highlight the the idea of the highlight that's in make time is that it's bigger than a task it's bigger than a to do it's like something that's 60 to 90 minutes long and that is huge because if you're if i go for my most important to do it's going to be probably something small probably something reactive and it's not going to it's not going to be like my most important work but if i if i choose something that takes a bit longer that's maybe you know a, some some bigger chunk of work and i consciously c- like create the space like both energy wise and like on my calendar, create the time to do that in my day, then everything changes. And I've seen dramatic changes for me over the last few years as I've been doing this. If you have that one focal point, man, it's huge. So anyway, I mean, I don't want to get too far into this because we said quick overview. So, um, sure, sure. highlight is a huge one and everything kind of then flows from the highlight. So you've got the highlight, you've got something you're excited about for the day, something that at the end of the day, you would look back on and say, yeah, that was the highlight of my day. That was really satisfying or, or joyful or just It was a really important thing, but yeah, I got it done. Feel good about it. So it goes highlight, laser, energize, reflect. So laser is about how you focus when it's time to work on the highlight. We have a bunch of tactics for how to Tone down distractions on your on your phone, uh, from your email, whatever it might be. We have a lot of ideas about how to do that. And we've built tech products ourselves so we know how this stuff works. John worked on YouTube for a long time. I worked on Gmail for a long time. We really understand how these things work and kind of how you can make some smart, subtle changes that that put you back in control often of this stuff. Yeah. And, and uh, so highlight- I'll later.
0: just pause you on that, Jake, because yeah. I, I think it's an important point. It's because you guys are both- Tech guys, and yeah. you do really value and love tech. It's just it comes back to like we've got to get control of our life again, right? <laughs> so yeah, you know, how do you have that fine balance in relationship? It, it's yeah, this is yeah. Go ahead. This is like right. Like there's a lot of people
1: talking about this actually. Right, you've a lot of people who have like been in tech and say like actually, you know, it's bad, Um, and. I guess you could throw us into that camp, but the reality is that we we love technology, like you said. Like we're we're into it. Like I, I'm like right now in real time as you and I are talking, it's like just before Apple is going to announce the new iPhones. We all know they're going to be new iPhones, and um, I bought the iPhone 10 last year, and I'm still I'm like I can't wait. Like I'm counting the hours almost until they you know announce the new one, and I I don't know if I'll you know bring myself to buy it or not. But I'm like I. God, I probably will. Like, I'm so, I'm so excited, you know? And, and, um, and like, I, I love, I love technology. I just think like, you know, we, as with many avenues of our life, we accept the defaults often of how the technology works and Mm -hmm. we have to redesign the defaults of how we, how we use it. We have to take back control and the tech companies have some responsibility to, to do this. I mean, they do have a responsibility. They have to do better. They have to give us more tools to take control, but Our, our message and where I think it's, it's different from what most people are saying is you can't wait for the tech companies to fine tune this stuff and get it right for you. You got to do it yourself and you can do, and you can, you can make much more powerful choices than they're going to be able to offer you and say no to things and delete things and turn things off and shut things off in a much more proactive way that puts your priority first and doesn't just turn the volume down a little, but actually like changes the game.
0: Yeah, I agree. So, what about the whole? Because I think everyone can relate this. One of the big things that that I noticed, uh, just in general, but also where the, the how the book really emphasizes this is, is just taking you know taking you out of that reactionary mode, right? And you guys have a brilliant way that I can visualize this every time I read the word. But just but let's talk about the infinity pools. Because yeah, I think yeah. you know, we're really jammed into the infinity pool. So just maybe describe what that is and and some tips on how people can like I said, just maybe first realize that they are in the infinity pool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And
1: I mean the infinity pool is I've never been in a real infinity pool, but I've seen lots of pictures of them. It looks yeah, very pleasant. Same. I don't think <laughs> it's a, a bad place to be, but um but what we talk about when we say infinity pool, we mean like you're you're doing something that it has infinite content. You're looking at something that potentially could have anything in it. And there are a lot of examples of this. Uh, you, know, the, you know, Facebook is an obvious one. Go to Facebook, you go to Instagram, there could always be something new, something that's yeah. going to make you feel like, you know, Something is make you feel an emotion, a good emotion or a jealous emotion or like whatever, but like generally good feelings. Like we usually have good feelings when we use, well, maybe it's arguable with those, but generally like, you know, it's, it's a good feeling to check and get caught up, but there can always be something new. The news is the same way. There can always be something new and fresh on the news. I could check, you know, the New York times or CNN or ESPN or any, any news outlet, there's going to be something new, like at any time of day, there could Mm -hmm. be, and there could be something new any second that I checked. Um, I could never be a hundred percent sure. Like I'm all caught up. And, um, and, you know, I think that games are kind of a source of infinite content. There's, there's things like Netflix that are sources of infinite content. One that often we just sort of forget about is email. And I mean, email is, is this really powerful infinite source of like, potentially there could be something there. And, and I've, I think people almost talk less about email now because they're so sort of concerned about how much time we spend on our phones in total or or so concerned about social media but emails another huge one these are all infinity pools and yeah what we talk about in the book is our ways to to get control of the infinity pools and our personal strategy what John and I do is we just don't have any of those things on our phone. We don't even have the web browser on our phone. So we both have, you know, modern smartphones and we've deleted all of those apps. So if you want to go like all
0: in. Yeah, big gasp right now from the audience. <laughs> yeah,
1: right, yeah, it's it's crazy, right? <laughs> but um but you know, our take is like hey, uh, the, the the iPhone, the Android phone is still an amazing futuristic tool, even without all those things, like there's still all this other great stuff on there. You know, the the maps are amazing. Uh, A podcast app. Like if you, if you're listening to this right now, Good chance you're listening to it on your phone. That's amazing. I don't consider that an infinity pool. Like you know, I'm not going to like sort of be twitchily like checking the podcast app to see if there's like a new podcast. You know, it's a different yeah. kind of relationship. And I think everybody knows what I'm talking about with these things that make you feel twitchy, where there's like always could be something new there. And if you take all of those off of the phone, there's still half of the phone is amazing, and in my opinion, even better because it doesn't distract me. It allows me to be present in my life. But I have all these futuristic powerful tools right at my fingertips I've got this camera I've got this calendar I can take notes I can do all these things that are actually pretty amazing um, but I just say no to anything that's that's infinite yeah um, so so that's that's like one one sort of source of infinity pools there's also infinity pool obviously you can access them when you're using the computer and so we talk about ways to shut off the internet. I mean, a lot of this stuff, it sounds kind of like, well, if I have no self-control, maybe I'd have to do that. And I'll admit I have very little self-control. Like if you stack up everybody in like a row of like most self-control to least, I'm going to be on the least end. But I think that's maybe interesting for people to hear about because I don't have self-control because I need to have these tools. When I shut things down a hundred percent, then I feel like I'm actually ahead of everybody. Like I jumped to the front of the line. Mm. And, and so I feel like this is that there's a big opportunity here for, for everyone to say, what would happen if I just shut things down? What would happen if I changed the expectations for email response time with my colleagues, you know, and I, and then I allowed myself to just shut off email until the evenings or to only catch up with my inbox once a week, what would happen? Like, so anyway, yeah. I think it's, I think it's a, I think it's a powerful leverage point to, to identify these infinity pools and to see what happens. when even as an experiment, you shut them off for a while.
0: I think that's key, right? It's just, well, A, identifying for you, you know, knowing yourself, like where you're, you're self-aware, obviously that, you know, the, the self-control is, is, is tough. And I fall in that camp as well. So what I kept picking up out of the book and and just even going through this journey with Keo is like, set yourself up for success. Then, you know, if you know that Instagram is going to take you down, like get it out of there. Right. Or it's, and, and, maybe forget about technology. Like if you know you're, you know, a sweets type of person, well, like don't have those cookies in the house and like people can relate to totally. that stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, dude, that is me. Like if they're, if, if
1: same thing with sweets, too, like yeah, if there's, there's cookies in the house, <laughs> I'm eating those cookies before I eat anything else. You know, yeah. it's like the, it's, uh, I, I think there was a headline on the onion a few years ago that I loved. Sometimes they do the best stuff on the onion is like the headlines that don't even have a story. It's just sure. like a headline only. And the headline was groceries eaten in inverse order of healthiness. And I feel like that's like, that's totally me. Like you get home, like, oh, look, like the cookies, I'm gonna eat those first. Um, the chips maybe after because they're salty, but you know, like, yeah, like yeah. they're slightly right. maybe feel more healthy. I, I'm, I'm totally there. And I think that the child just to talk for a second about the tools. So Apple, Google, Facebook, they've all introduced tools or are introducing tools right now to help us sort of dial down. Like everybody admits this is a problem, right? And and a lot of there's been a lot of talk about this. And the tools that have come as a result of this are they're all basically the same. It shows you a chart of how much time you use it. If you choose to go into the settings and look, you can see a chart of how much time you spend on on the apps. And then you can set a a limit. You can say, I want to limit my time in this app. And then what happens is I think that, it's really good. This is a step in the right direction. And if you choose to use these tools, you'd be taking a step in the right direction, but it's like this very cautious step. Yeah. yeah. You know, in order to use those things, I got to look at that chart, which is going to make me feel guilty. Like I don't want to look at the chart, but (laughs) I got to go look at the chart. And I think we all already know what the chart says, like something we don't want to see. So first I got to look at the chart. Then I got to set a timer for myself. And the defaults for the timer are like really high. So like, let's say, as you said, like, let's say I know Instagram's tough for me. Well, if I go in to set the timer on uh, on Android, the new version of Android that's coming out, the default time increments are, do I want to limit myself to 15 minutes, 30 minutes, 60 minutes, or two hours? I look at that and I think, oh my God, like 15 minutes is a, it's, it's a lifetime. Like if I spend, have 15 minutes to dole out throughout the day, checking Instagram, I can shatter my attention like over and over and over. again. Yeah. Just yeah. with like a 30 second check, you know, like yeah. that's 30, 30 second checks. It's crazy. It's a huge 15 minutes. It's a huge low number. And then when the timer runs out, they're going to pop up a, a, you know, a notification to make me feel guilty again. And and then <laughs> I can suck. get out of it. Yeah. And then I can get out of it. Yeah. You suck. Oh God. Yeah. I do suck. But then I can say like, you know, I can go in and change the time. I can, I'm not like blocked. I'm not locked out. Yeah. And so it feels like just more guilt on, on the customer. I, it's a step in the right direction, but my, you know, our take is like, look, uh, that's all that stuff is fine. It's good. Just just cut it out. Like if Instagram's a problem, you don't need it. Just uninstall it. Like just, just live without it. And then you jump to the head of the line. You know, if there's those hundred people in line with their distraction, you jump to the head of the line. You're going to have more attention for what matters to you. And it's, I mean, it's, it's not only good for your day-to-day life. I think it's a competitive advantage at work.
0: Oh, hundred percent. I agree. I'm curious, uh, you know, for anyone listening, uh, please do, you know, share, um, when your internet's turned back on, share in the comments, um, <laughs> you know, just how you're feeling about this or how some of these, these tricks and, and, and tools have, have helped your journey and, and more specifically how you feel after going through the process. So that's what I wanted to ask you about too, Jake, is, you know, just going through even writing the book and, um, evolving your own practices. Like what have, what, what has that looked like? Like how have some of your own reflective practices evolve just going through the process of start to finish and creating a book like this
1: well yeah so one of the things that's you know anytime you try to teach something you gotta you've gotta go deeper in your understanding of it and i think teachers learn about the subject by by teaching it and by figuring out how to explain it so the the system and the tactics that we use got better through the process of first blogging about them. So many of the things that are in the book started as blog posts, and um, and so part of it was trying to explain the idea in the form of a blog post, and then hearing back from people. Like I wrote about this topic of the distraction free iPhone about six years ago for the first time, and um, people, you know, like <laughs> half the people's. Thought I was an idiot and just why doesn't this guy get a smartphone? Why doesn't he shut up? He gets some self control, whatever. You know, fair fair <laughs> points. Really, all fair points. And then you know, some subsection people are like, oh man, like I tried this and actually it's great. You know, like uh, that's crazy, but it actually feels great. I'm shocked. Um, but uh, you know, the the process of trying to explain it in a way that doesn't doesn't make people hate me as you know, some people will hate, hate me, no matter what I say that. Cause I sound self-righteous. I do sound self-righteous when I talk about it. So I, you know, how can I best, you know, couch it in terms of like, look, here's the, here's the way to think about it that might be useful to the broadest section of people. And, and then also kind of thinking about how do these things fit together and how do you, how do you get to this point? Like there's a lot of things I think when you're um, trying to, to share an idea Part of what's hard is that you have the curse of knowledge. There's a lot of things that you don't know that you already know about it. And um, there's this book that I love. I know I'm supposed to be promoting my own book, but there's this book that I love called uh, Made to Stick. And oh, anyone yeah. who's Yeah, you know it. Yeah, so good. Chip and Dan Heath, Made to Stick. Excellent. Actually, every book that they wrote is, is so good. Um, but uh, Made to Stick talks about this idea of the curse of knowledge. It's harder to explain an idea when you already know it because you, you can't really tease out the parts that you know that you've sort of forgotten that you know from the parts that your your audience the listener reader whatever may not may not know yet and so one of those things that struck us and it's like the sort of the third and fourth parts i talked about highlight and, and energize and one of the things that struck us in writing it was gosh i or sorry i talked about highlight and laser um, the, the second two are the third and fourth ones are energize and laser uh, and reflect and uh and so energize is about building the physical and mental energy that you need to focus. So half of the thing is, you know, setting the highlight, choosing what you want to focus on. And then the the next part is f- actually focusing and, and eliminating distractions so that you have the time and attention for it. But you also have to have the energy. You have to have the physical energy. And this was something that we had kind of. Almost subconsciously like tuned while doing the design sprints, we had started to get better and better snacks and really tune when we took breaks and encourage the team to work together because there's sort of an energizing kind of conversation that happens from just having face to face conversations, made sure the days weren't too long, we started to make shorter work days, because we saw that by the end of the week, you'd get better results if you hadn't burned people out. And a lot of these things were just sort of invisible to us because they'd happened over so long, but we thought, God, that's actually a huge part. That's something that we need to be really explicit about and, and talk about. And that's the energized section. And then the last one was this idea of reflecting uh, each day, just kind of looking back and saying, Hey, what worked today and and what didn't and treating it like an experiment, treating yourself like, an ex- you know, the subject of an experiment with a sample size of one. And yeah. this was something that I think is, is really powerful. It really helps to make this stuff feel, um, f- feel real, feel like it's about you. It's not some study you're reading about. It's not some person's anecdote. That's, you know, oh uh, that, that guy lives in San Francisco, works at tech company, like whatever he's going to weirdo. Um, uh, but it's really like, it's just about you. And I think that was like figuring out that those things are an important part of it and identifying it was, was a a big deal. And, um, and so there's, there's that part. And then the last part, and I mean, I don't want to go on for too long with this, but was um, testing it with test readers and actually just giving people the, some people, the whole book, some people, the beginning of the book, while it was still a Google doc and Hmm. we were still, you know, in the act actively writing it. And we got 1700 people to look at various parts of it and give us, reactions to it. And, um, and that was amazing because you start to figure out what makes sense to people. What's, you know, what's confusing, what's boring, you know, what's repetitive. And, um, and that also really helped to sharpen up the, the argument and the explanations.
0: Uh, such a neat, thanks for sharing the process. Cause I mean, a lot of people don't, myself included, aren't, aren't aware of how that, that goes down. Right. So, uh, but you could use that for so many, I mean, it obviously sounds I'm not surprised. It sounds very similar to a sprint.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which would yeah, make and sense. I mean, <laughs> and it's not it's not the way people usually write books to to test it in that way. We didn't actually uh, invent that. I have a friend, uh, Nir Ayal, who wrote this book, Hooked, and um, yeah, and really interesting guy who just looks at things in a different way. He's not going to do anything the way like you know the sort of standard classic way to do it. He he comes up with interesting ways to solve problems. And he, he, while writing hooked, he, you know, gave a, the Google doc access to like 700 people or something. And then just, just like watched where they put comments. And we tried to, you know, we did that in, a, in sort of our own way. I actually, eventually we had to stop allowing people to put comments in because it's just, it just gets insane. Yeah. And, start, and so, so I had like a large group of those people who just had them read through and then fill out like a survey and actually, I mean, this is maybe in the weeds, but maybe people find it interesting. I actually asked people to mark like, which page number did you find boring? Like if there's any page numbers you found boring, like type them in into this form. And then I made a spreadsheet that had like the, just tallied up where it was boring. And then it was like a, you know, I did like conditional formatting. So you could see where there was higher numbers of boringness. Like it would, it would oh, show indeed. up red on my spreadsheet. And then I went back through and I, I would cut down, like the introduction to the book was like, like half as long by the time we were done. Cause we were able to figure out like which parts are not necessary or slowing people down and don't matter. And, and
0: where can we like kind of condense it down? And anyway, yeah. no, you totally geeked out on that. That's yeah, but It that worked. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, okay. I want to respect your time and, and and start wrapping up and, and, and get a little bit, you know, finish off a little bit personal with you and you know, some of your practices, because, uh, book aside. I mean, uh, I encourage everyone to follow your uh, your newsletters and, and you on on the socials. But there's some really good content, and I would say, uh, obviously, on our side, we're really trying to promote the the benefit of just reflection in general, in whatever vehicle you're using, and whatever capacity that looks like. But just to slow down and, and think a bit, and a lot of your content does that, right? So I'm just curious. I know you're you're more of an evening guy, which uh, a lot of people on the show are morning people, as I'm sure you probably get a lot as well. But let's let's talk <laughs> yeah. about that evening routine because I think there's 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 a lot of, um, can help a lot of people.
1: Yeah, everybody loves morning people. Exactly. Morning people get all the hype, <laughs> you know. They seem so on it. They're like getting stuff done first thing, and then they're they feel kind of like they're better than everybody else the rest of the day. Yeah, and I I, I mean. <laughs> John Zaraski, my co-author, my good friend. That guy is like classic morning person. Or so I thought, at least when I met him. Um, because he would like, you know, he'd come to work. He's like already done with whatever the thing was that we talked about yesterday afternoon. And he's already, you know, he's already like gotten up early and and exercise and made himself coffee and like walked to work and you're just like god i hate that guy you know yeah and, uh, <laughs> and then like i learned more about him and i realized he's not normal he wasn't like originally a morning person but he he kind of did all these things he talks about it in the book to to make himself a morning person so that he could share that time with his wife. His wife is up early. So he thought, well, if I, could, if I could just like align my schedule with hers and make that the time that I do my highlight, then like everything would be great. And he he did it and he had some strategies for kind of making that shift. And um, the book I talk about making time in the, in the evening after the kids go to bed, after the house is quiet and just trying to make that time when I might be awake anyways, actually make it useful and purposeful time and not just me, you know, reading my email or just like, I don't know, like a big thing I talk about in the book is, uh, uh, really into the Seattle Seahawks. I like read news about the Seattle Seahawks. It's just basically when my, you know, when I'm tired, I might just go into like this sort of like surfing mode or whatever and just burn that time. Yeah. But what, um, what, yeah. So what I, what I had to do was like realize like, okay, there's some things I can do to, to make sure I'm, I'm kind of clearing my mind out and I'm recharging a little bit after I, you know, would get, get done with work. And then, um, and then like make sure that those distractions are unavailable to me. And one of the key things for me was (laughs) taking a vacation timer. So you can buy these at the hardware store, whatever they're intended to, um, allow you to leave the lights on when you're going on vacation. So you plug this timer into the outlet and you set the timer and, uh, at a certain time it, the light f- clicks on like in the evening. So it looks like you're there and then it clicks off uh, when you, you know, might plausibly yeah. go to bed. Anyway, you set the time for turning the switch on and off. And I just plugged the internet router into that thing <laughs> and I just had it turn off, you know, at, at the time that I wanted to start Writing and this is what I the the project I was hoping to work on in the evenings was writing this um, this fiction book that uh, and so I would I would just the timer would come on the internet would disappear
0: your wife's like what happened to Netflix
1: (laughs) yes and that actually that did that did happen a few times there's some there's definitely some like. Some of the stuff. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm a, see, I drive people a little bit crazy living with me. But like you, if you just take like a little sprinkling of some of my things, I, you know, I think it could work for people. But yeah, so occasionally there's some problems. But but basically, like the yeah, the internet turns off, and then like it's great because everything's quiet, and it felt like. I was on a desert Island. Like I've just yeah. focused, I can focus now on, on what I, what I want to do. And and so that became for me for many years, that was like the time when I would write and, um, and it was so quiet and dark in the house and there was no distraction and it was, it was beautiful. I just had to make sure I didn't burn myself out. I didn't wear myself out. I wasn't doing email. I wasn't reacting to other stuff, but I was saving that energy for, for that thing. Mm. And uh, now that I, you know, I don't work at Google anymore. I'm, I'm unemployed. I'm writing and teaching these workshops and I have to kind of recraft to, to try to bring that focus during the middle of the day. And, um, and it takes applying these, these same principles, you know, and reflecting and seeing what, what works and what doesn't work. Yeah.
0: I think the key is like for, for anyone listening and, and myself included is just, you know, just be open. Cause some of these things seem, really extreme um which is even crazy to think that they sound extreme right turning the internet off yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a problem in itself but i think that the key message would be you know just be open and you don't you don't have to do all of these things but try them out right and you can give them an honest shot and uh i think a lot of people will be just surprised at how different they'll feel and you know what they'll get done and, and all of that right so
1: yeah, and that's where I think that experimental mindset is really helpful because if if you pick up any book and that's that's in this genre, you know, and you and you think like, oh, this is stuff I have to do or I should do, then it sucks. Like you get you kind of set up to feel kind of guilty or crummy if you don't do it all, if you don't do the whole system or whatever. But that's not the way this works. These are just a bunch of ideas for experiments. They're tactics, and you might try. You might, some people might find like, Hey, a lot of these work for me. And some people might just find that it's like a handful that work and something that really stands out might, you know, they might try it and say, Hey, this works great. And I, you know, you could get a lot of benefit from just doing like one or two of these things. Like I said, we hope you'll do five or six. There are 87 tactics in the book. If somebody does all 87, like (laughs) you don't get a prize or anything like it, you can really, it's just kind of like a, you know, you just choose and uh, it's like ordering at a restaurant. So don't order everything all at once.
0: Amazing. All right, Jake. I've got to get your three reflective questions. So these are these are questions that are going to load be loaded right into the app to help uh, users stimulate some new reflection based on the context that we're speaking of today. Uh, and these can be questions that that show up in your life on a frequent basis or during big life changing events, like you know leaving Google and doing, going on your own, like things like that.
1: Yeah. Okay. So the first question, I guess, is what's most important right now. And in the book, we talk about this tactic of stack rank your life. And I, I think this is something that I do over and over again. And I find really valuable is just to identify what are the big projects in my life. And at the beginning of the episode, we talked about being a dad, like that's one project actually. It's like, and it will go on, it will be going on for a long time. But sure. like being a dad is a project and it also, it competes uh, with writing books, with promoting books. It competes with teaching workshops, all the things that for me right now are big projects. And they were different, you know, five years ago when I was at Google and 10 years, whatever, like they change from time to time. But if you make a list, you can make a list of these big projects. Knowing what the order of those is and which one is most important is very helpful in times when things are in flux, in times when I'm stressed. In fact, it's important on a daily basis as I just decide what's going to be my highlight for the day. So what is the most important right now, that's, that's a big question. And it's important to have an answer to know what's going on. That's a very centering thing to do. And then I think it's important to to check that and to make sure that what I think is most important right now feels right in my heart. And, you know, almost like your gut feeling or, or my heart tells like, I, I feel mm-hmm. like excited about going towards that. Like, I feel like, um, a sense of like a wind in my sails. My wife really helps me with this a lot because a lot of times I'll, I'll be, signing up to do something or debating whether I should do something. And she'll say, gosh, you know, when you talk to me about that, your voice goes flat. I don't think you're excited about that. i yeah, oh, like, you're right. You know, I didn't even know myself well enough. And I'm starting over the years, I'm starting to get better and better at knowing myself and and knowing when my heart is in it. But I, I do better work when I'm all in. I think we all do. When we're all in and we're excited, better things happen. So I try as much as to the extent that I can choose, I try to choose the things that are where my heart is
0: there. Does this work? I I phrase this a, does this feel right in my heart?
1: Yeah. Does this feel right in my heart? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's why when you asked me at the beginning, I'd say like, you know, really right now it's being a dad is number one way I would identify myself. It's the number one project right now, because I'm finding that these are transitional times for my kids and um, it feels absolutely right to be, you know, making trade-offs to put that first. So, um, so that yeah, that's a big one. And then the third one is, I don't know, I guess this is kind of a, a common thing to to think about death, you know, to think about like, okay, if, and for me, the the window is, if this was, if if I had a diagnosis of something, if I was going to die in a year, what would I, what would I want to do this year? it's got very real for me. My father passed away a couple of years ago. And, um, he was, uh, he was 85. So I'm 40 right now as we're, as we're talking, Yeah. Uh, he was 85, but he got Alzheimer's when he was 80. So if, to me, it's very real. It's like, I might be at like the halfway mark because you know, who knows? Like I could get, I could end up with the same sort of end of life situation that he had. And, um, it makes every year seem very tangible to me. And I had a friend who got cancer around the same time he recovered. Um, uh, but, all these things have just made me, I, you know, we all have these things that happen that make us think about mortality and it's important. It's an important thing to remember. There's a, there's a degree when you can think about this window of like, if this were my last, you know, inter duration X. So this was my last day. Like some people find that helpful to me. That's too short. Like I would, I don't know what I would do on my last day, but it's kind of sad. I'm like, it freaks me out to think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, and then there's probably a window of time where it's too long. Like if it was, you know, maybe if it was 10 years out, like, I'm not sure I can really kind of get 10 years in my head, but for me, a year is a good amount of time. I don't think that over the course of a year, I would say, um, gosh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't go crazy. I wouldn't be doing something like, you know, hang gliding or something. I would just, I, if you hang glide and you're listening, I'm sorry, I don't have a little crazy. But but you know, it's kind of about would I be what would I want to do? How would I want to be spending my time? How would I want to balance? Are these work projects things that are meaningful and that I would feel like they were a good use of a limited time that I have? Are these is the way that I'm prioritizing my family, is that right? Is the way that I'm prioritizing experience and travel and things, is it right? And if I look back and I thought over the past six months or the past year, if I knew now that I was, you know, had only a year left, would I, would I think well on how I spent the last? stretch of time? Or would I think, my gosh, I was on autopilot. And I think that's really important too. It's equally important as to looking forward is looking back and making sure that, because that's a better way to check almost. It's easy to imagine what we'll do in the future. You look back and then you have a record of the choices that you really made. And so if I know that I was making choices over the past few months and the past year that feel in accord with my heart and feel in accord with what's most important and how I would spend what is in reality a limited amount of time then I, I think I'll I'm I'm maybe making the right kinds of decisions and I'll I'll continue to make those for the next year.
0: Those are great, really great prompts. Um, thank you for sharing them, and, and they'll I think they'll be really helpful. And I agree with you. Reflecting back uh, one of the most one of the questions I talk most about um, in any speaking that I do is on Friday. It's just super simple, and we're on Friday right now. It's actually around that time now for me would be just asking two questions. One being What would I have changed this week and what was amazing about this week? And, you know, it doesn't have to be an hour long process. It could be literally a few minutes, but just stopping before you roll into the weekend and back into Monday, you know, there's a lot of really great things that take place in the course of five days if we stop and and just think about that a little bit, right? A lot of answers there.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's important too. And, I talked about in Make Time, it's a daily practice. And it, this idea of reflecting happens on a daily practice. But yeah. another theme in the book, Make Time, is to be gentle to yourself, to to be kind to yourself, to not beat yourself up. And um, and we just try to infuse that. I don't know if it's explicit, but it's just we just try to infuse it in the way we talk about how, what we do. And something that I heard recently that that really s- stuck with me. I was talking to my friend, Sarah Cooper, who's a, um, she's a writer, comedian. She used to work at Google as well. Um, she's really funny. If you search for Sarah Cooper online, you'll find funny tweets, great articles. She's hilarious. But, um, hmm. but she was talking about, she left Google like me. And so I was kind of wanted advice from her about what to do. And she said, you know, if you, for me, she said, you know, she's speaking about herself. She said, uh, if <laughs> it, it, was, it started to be much more helpful for me to think about accomplishing things over the course of a week or a month to look at a bigger time frame. Because often in day by day, when we have like a big goal, we want to accomplish some big goal, it's frustrating. You don't see that much progress. Mm-hmm. It feels like you didn't do anything. But if you look at that goal over the course of like a week or months or a longer time frame, you can feel a lot better about what's going on. And it's a lot more realistic. And I wish I'd had that conversation before we wrote the book. The essence of that is in the highlight because it's about you know, a chunk of something that's bigger than a task and smaller than a goal. But I like that. I like that idea of reflecting every week. It's really nice. Like it gives you the chance to see a slightly bigger time frame, and to, and to see things as an experiment, which is really healthy.
0: Well, thank you, sir, for you and John, obviously, and everyone involved in in bringing this, <clears throat> this book to light and uh, not just the book, but just you as a person and everything you're putting out there in the world. Uh, it's a lot of work obviously you know um, thinking of this taking the time to construct it and put it out there and uh, ultimately it's helping a lot of people so just want to give a little virtual high five from this like the world <laughs> here you. in Toronto Canada and everyone else that uh, could be listening across the world and uh, obviously uh, the book link everything uh, where you can find Jake will be in the show notes and as always have the best day yet thanks Mark yes you made it to the end i hope you enjoyed the chat with jake i just wanted to thank all of you for such an incredible year and your attention for all of these conversations it's a real true honor to have you part of the journey there are already great conversations lined up for 2020 with recording artists designers entrepreneurs and many more all unpacking their minds but please let me know why you're listening to the show and what you get out of it so i can make sure to bring more of that in 2020. Send me a message on Instagram or leave your message in a review. I look at all of them. Thank you so much. Have a stunning day and wishing you nothing but awesome for 2020.